welcome, friends, fellow patriots, and fellow citizens, to this week's edition of the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski. I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm the president of the We the People Convention. And this podcast, along with our website, our text messages, our emails, and everything else we do, are brought to you by the donors to the We the People Convention, and we thank all of them for their support. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome to you. This is a news uh, summary and analysis show. And as a disclaimer at the beginning of, of the podcast shows that uh, this is for educational purposes. And so what do we do here? Well, we're focused on protecting and defending our individual liberty, freedom, and prosperity. The battle that is waging in our country and in the world right now is states' rights not like the state of Ohio or Missouri or, you know, California, but state as in the government's rights versus individual rights. What makes the United States unique was that we were literally the first nation founded with the individual in control, right? Government of the people, by the people, for the people. And the government's role was to protect our constitutional rights. And that is in jeopardy right now. And our, our program talks about what we can do to protect our individual rights and beat back the communists, the socialists, the statists, the people who want to control your life and keep uh, control of our lives, you know, by protecting our individual liberty, freedom, and prosperity. So in this podcast, what we try to do is go through the week's news with the main focus of how does this affect you? If it doesn't affect you, it really doesn't deserve to be covered, right? I'm trying to bring to your attention the things that affect you, and then tr we do something here that most people don't do in their podcasts and their radio shows or TV, TV shows. We take action. We try to come up with ways to fight back, to defend, and to go on offense and take ground and get more rights, okay, to, so that the individual is dominant in our culture, dominant in our society. And so that's what you can expect in our, on our show this week. Now, before I get started, I saw uh, uh, Dennis Prager, I was listening to his show earlier this week, and he has these um, you know hours where he talks about certain subjects, and on the radio this is, not on his, po his podcast. And he uh, was, his topic was, what have you learned during the COVID you know, years, year and a half. What have you learned over the last 18 months? And he had, you know, a bunch of things that, you know, he, he was thinking about, like, you know, he couldn't believe that people would give up their liberty so quickly and things like that. But he had a caller call him that said something that really struck me, and I think it relates to this podcast, and so I want to discuss it with you. The caller called and said, what I've learned about America over this past 18 months is that Americans want to be told what to do. They don't want to think for themselves. And Prager was really taken aback. And, and, and he said, wow, that's, that's really strong. That's really powerful because that's what we're seeing, isn't it? And the answer is that is what we're seeing. Now, here's the, the point that struck me. Because on this show, I, I don't usually tell you what to do. But I will suggest things that you do should do. I encourage you to do them. Okay? So... And I know that many of you really do take what I tell you as me telling you to do something. So the real question comes down to, not that someone's telling you what to do,
how trustworthy is the source? Because if an evil person is telling you what to do, as is happening, you know, from Joe Biden to, you know, the media to big tech, then you're doomed if you follow that because they're leading you down a path of destruction. So there's a responsibility, and believe you me, I take that responsibility really seriously. I mean, I can't tell you how much I think about the fact that when this microphone goes on and I start recording and I start speaking to you, that I have a responsibility to you, that I have a responsibility to tell you the truth, but also to give you good guidance. And I take that really seriously. Now, that's why you've got to scrutinize everything I say. You can't just accept it as, well, Tom said it, so it's true. Yeah, I believe it is true. I wouldn't tell you if it wasn't true, but you got to hold me accountable. And I'll talk to you about a, a couple of emails I got this week that were, where you guys were doing just that. And I encourage that. You must be skeptical, right? You always have to do what? See with your own eyes, hear with your own ears, think with your own head, right? So do that with me as well. But it is true that what happened in our country is that people didn't want to make the decision of whether I should take a mask or not, wear a mask or not, or whether I should lock down or not, or whether I should get the vax or not. They want some fool like Fauci or Joe Biden to tell them what to do. That's frightening. We can't do that. We have to be stronger than that. We have to be smarter than that. And most importantly, what does placing the individual first above the state really mean? It means personal responsibility, right? It means that you must take on the task, the challenge of doing the research to make good decisions. Just like when you do when you're buying a family car or you're going to move to a new house or you're trying to decide you know, what schools your kids are going to go to. You have the individual responsibility as well as, well as the rights to make those decisions and to do your homework, to not be lazy about it. And what has happened to America is we've gotten pretty damn lazy. We just let them feed this crapola into our heads and just accept it. You can never do that. No matter how trusted the source, that's what makes America great. We question everything. I always told people about the, the Tea Party. The thing that the Tea Party movement was the last place in America that was still the marketplace of ideas. We argue about everything. If I tell you that I'm recording this show on Saturday, October 16th, 2021, someone in the Tea Party would say, yeah, but what calendar are you using, right? Are you using the Gregorian calendar? Which one are you using? That's healthy. When I first got involved with the Tea Party as a CEO, as a head coach, as a person who was usually in charge, to now being involved in a situation where it's we're all equal, it's a volunteer thing. I, I can't make you do anything. I'm not paying you. I can only influence you to do things. So I have to listen and I have to understand the other arguments and I have to be able to defend my position. It made me a better person. It was an incredible challenge at first. I was kind of like, who are these people? You know, what do they keep asking these questions for? But I understood that 
that kind of debate is critical. And that's what, what why free speech is in the First Amendment, because it is that important. Because without free speech, you don't have that debate. And that's what the statists and the commies and the socialists and the woke jokes are trying to do. They don't want that debate because they know they can't win it. And I'm going to talk about the latest book I read that you'll like to read that you know really explains that. So this that's what this show is about, right? This show is about our individual freedom and liberty and prosperity and the fact that we must make our own decisions. We must accept and embrace that responsibility and take action, right, to protect our rights. So... All right, just thought I'd give you that. I thought that was a kind of an interesting thing that Dennis Prager did. Okay, so let's start the show. And, and we always have been, or we don't always, but we have been for the last several months. We've been starting the show talking about the political prisoners from January 6th that are in Washington, D.C., illegally being held and, and mistreated by the Biden regime. And uh, on that, you know, on our screen, you'll see the, the PatriotMailProject.com page that I keep showing you. That's a great site if you want to write to these uh, prisoners, uh, and many of you are. Please, uh, you know, go to PatriotMailProject.com. You can, you have to put the inmate number and stuff. They aren't letting us send them books, but we can send them, you know, letters, okay, and cards. And we are getting fantastic letters back. Because, see, they won't let them read newspapers or see TV. So they don't know what's going on. So you can tell them, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about here when you write to them. They're just really appreciative of, of our letters. And, and why, do we, why do we care about these people? Why are we fighting to get them released? Because if we don't defend them, who's going to defend us? When there is injustice... We must stand with those who are being unjustly treated, whether we agree with them or not, okay? And that's what differentiates us from the left. And so we've been opening our show every week in the last couple months with a prayer for the political prisoners in D.C. and for their families and for the lawyers that are defending them. And I'd like you to just bow your head and just take a minute to say a, a quick prayer for them and ask God to give them strength encourage and give their lawyers wisdom. All right. All right. Okay. So lots has been happening and good stuff has been happening. This is a big story that I put out to you this week. Federal judge finds DC jail officials in contempt, demands civil rights inquiry for January 6th defendants. Folks, this is big news because, and again, if you didn't get this, you got to go to wethepeopleconvention.org. Give me your email address right in the front. First thing you see, Email address and phone number. Now, we text to your phone number because our emails get blocked a lot and we send a link to the email in the text, okay? So I need that information so you can get these kind of stories. But this story is a big deal because we're the ones, right, with the Justice for J6 rally and for the, with the filing with the, uh, with the UN Human uh, Rights Committee, 
uh, that, you know, saying that they're violating these people's rights. But now we have a judge that's saying that. So listen to this. In a major rebuke of the Justice Department and the D.C. Department of Corrections, District Court Judge Royce Lamberth today found a jail's warden and director of the Department of Corrections in contempt of court for refusing to turn over records related to the care of Christopher Worrell, a January 6th detainee who suffers from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and a broken hand. He has been incarcerated under the pretrial detention order sought by the uh, Biden uh, Justice Department, Injustice Department, um, and approved by the court's chief judge since his arrest in March. Worrell has been in a D.C. jail uh, used specifically to house January 6th defendants since April. Lambert scheduled the hearing in, on Tuesday after D.C. jail warden Wanda Patton and D- DOC director Quincy Booth failed to comply with his October 8th order uh, to submit the evaluation by an orthopedic surgeon who determined in June that Worrell needed surgery for a broken hand he suffered in May and also to submit Worrell's medical request related to the needed cancer treatments. Jail officials and attorneys representing the department claimed the screw-up was a miscommunication, but Lambert rejected their argument. I don't accept that explanation, Lambert said. No one noticed in jail that he's sitting there in pain all the time? Does no one care? Yeah, good question. Worrell's attorney, Alex Saverin, told Judge Lambert his client is being subjected to cruel and unusual punishment in the jail. Medical team recommended that Worrell start receiving six months of intense chemotherapy and radiation, but jail officials were vague as to how they would care for Worrell's side effects, including ongoing pain and nausea. Lambert called the jail's treatment of Worrell inexcusable and questioned aloud in court whether Worrell was being, was being treated differently because he's a January 6th defendant. In an order filed after the hearing, Lambert referred the matter to the Attorney General for appropriate inquiry into potential civil rights violations of January 6th defendants as exemplified in this case. Yes, civil rights violations, human rights violations. Anyone who doesn't believe that these are political prisoners, based on what? Go to We the People Convention and read this this article, okay? Now, they've also had another judge say that he thinks that this, this jail is so corrupt that these prisoners should be turned over to the U.S. Marshals Service and moved to another prison. That's what we want to see. We said we would expose these people and hold them accountable, and we're going to. We're going to. These people have been, and if you watch Tucker Carlson on Friday night, he had a, just a very disturbing, very disturbing monologue about the unequal justice and the the just blatant bias by these two women Obama-appointed judges who are giving some of the uh, these uh, January 6th uh, protesters Jail sentences greater than the DOJ is asking for because of their political bias. But these same judges didn't put any of the people who broke into the Kavanaugh hearings in, in prison, right? And this week, this week, there was an environmental protest where these rioters broke into and were pushing on cops and breaking through barriers to get into the EPA, a federal building. Yeah, 
No arrests. Yes, it's not fair. It's unjust. But you're seeing that justice will be done. We have to keep fighting. We're going to get these prisoners out. We're going to hold these people accountable. Justice will be served in the end if we persist. So here was the other big story that came uh, you know, about January 6th. And this is, thank goodness for Tom Fenton and Judicial Watch, who, full disclosure, we, the People Convention, donates to Judicial Watch. We, I have donated personally. We need Judicial Watch. We need the ACLJ. We need Project Veritas. Okay? And so on the bottom of my emails, you'll see a link to all the groups we support. But Judicial Watch worked hard to get the police departments in D.C. to turn over the records for the quote-unquote investigation they made into the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. And it says the only person who was killed inside the Capitol building was Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by police. This has been a topic of discussion for some, as people wondered if the use of force was necessary. Look in this situation. Everyone inside should have known that these situations could turn deadly. That's not to say she deserved to be shot, and new documents from Judicial Watch further feeds the narrative that this was a cover-up. Tom Fitton added that the documents reveal Babbitt was shot for no good reason. More than 500 pages of internal documents from D.C. Metropolitan Police concerning the fatal shooting of Ashley Babbitt in the Capitol on January 6th reveal witness accounts stating she was not holding a weapon at the time of her death and how upset the officer was after shooting her. These previously secret records show there was no good reason to shoot and kill Ashley Babbitt, stated Tom Fitton, president of Judicial Watch, which obtained the documents through a May 2021 FOIA lawsuit. The lawsuit, not a request. They, they wouldn't give them it under FOIA. They had to file a lawsuit. The Biden-Garland Justice Department and the Pelosi Congress have much to answer for uh, for the over, over the mishandling and cover-up of this scandalous killing of an American citizen by the U.S. police. Folks, listen. What that officer did in killing an unarmed Ashley Babbitt violates every possible police rule and regulation in any police department in this country. There's no justification, zero justification for killing her. And they let him off and said it was justified. That's bullcrap. Okay. That's bullcrap. And God willing, down the road, we will reopen this investigation and that officer will be charged because he deserves to be charged. He's a murderer. That's what I said. He's a murderer. And you should all know that he's a murderer and tell others that they murdered Ashley Babbitt. It wasn't an accident and it sure as hell wasn't justified. Okay. So now, you know, I want to turn to, you know, the, the, the just this, you know, kind of the big, thing we have to fight, which is the the left's stealing our tax money to destroy capitalism, to destroy your wealth, your life, and your family, okay, to install socialism. And that's what this, you know, infrastructure, quote unquote, bill and this, you know, budget bill are all about. Now, I posted at We The People Convention a PragerU video with Steve Moore called The Bankrupting of America. Again, these PragerU videos are only five minutes, so you, you should 
take the time to watch it, and then I ask you to share it because it's really a great video, and Steve Moore is very concise. And so he talks about you know, what these policies are going to do to your wealth, okay, to your individual freedom and liberty, to your family. It affects you. Therefore, you and I must be involved in stopping this harm to our families. Now, part of the deal is that the Dems never want anyone to know what's in it, okay? They don't want anyone to know what's in it because they can call it all these wonderful names like, oh, it's a human infrastructure bill. What the hell is that, okay? But they're liars. They lie right to your face. That is in their Saul Alinsky rules for radicals. They all do it. So you can't prove a word they say. And don't. Do your research. And I did research. And I'm going to post this document. And I want you guys to go and, and, and look at the link. So on when the podcast is over, not only do I post it on our podcast page, okay, I also put links to all the stories I talk about. You're going to want to download this and share this. This is from the Republican Study Committee, okay? And I'm going to just go through these pretty quickly so you get a feel for what the heck is in this thing. Uh, the Reconciliation Roundup, Policies to Wreck America. This bill is a disaster and should be polling at 20%. We all know it. So how can we explain a 55% approval it garnered in the polls? The chief reason is that people don't know what's in it. So here's a quick list of what's in it, folks. Perpetual labor shortage, continuous welfare benefits without work requirements for able-bodied adults with, without dependence at a time where there are 10 million job openings. So again, they're trying to cripple our economy and cripple businesses, particularly small businesses, by denying you labor. Commissions, a, a climate police, Democrats stuffed eight billion dollars, folks, into the bill to commission a cabal of federally funded climate police called the Civilian Climate Corps, who will conduct progressive activism on taxpayer dimes. You think that's going to help your job? You think that's going to help economy? You think them putting all kinds of new rules and regulations on you is going to help? Yeah, where do you see the story I talk about, about why we have the ships all backed up in Los Angeles and what the environmental responsibility is at? Pushes new Green Deal in public schools, requires funding for school construction to be used largely to enroll diversity and Green New Deal agenda items. You got that? So they're going to put money in for school construction, but in the fine print it says you must do CRT, DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, right? Communist things. They're going to pay schools to tear apart your country. Push Green New Deal in universities, $10 billion environmental justice higher education slush fund to indoctrinate college students and advance the Green New Deal. They're going to take your money and my money and give $10 billion to colleges to indoctrinate your children who you're paying 50 grand or 20 grand a year to go to these bogus colleges and universities. Process faith-based child care uh, force Faith-based child care providers out. The bill blocks the ability of many faith-based providers for participating in child care systems and will lead to many of their closures, right? Hurts small and in-home daycares requires pre-K staff to have a college degree. Can you imagine what your, your uh, 
Daycare will cost if the person watching your kid has to have a four-year college degree that costs $100,000. They're going to mandate that, folks. This thing goes on and on. I mean, I want to read them all, but I know I can't. But but it includes, uh, gives unions near total control. The bill includes insane prohibitions that would bind employers' employers' hands in union disputes and dangerously tilt the balance of power, subjecting employers to penalties that exempt union bosses and officials. Among other things, this bill would prevent employers from permanently replacing striking workers. Uh, you know, it makes unions bigger and more powerful, pushes Democratic wasteful and confusing school lunch agenda, further uh, furthers racial, radical abortion agenda. Uh, drives up costs of American utility bills. It's a punitive, it, it issues a punitive methane tax, includes a tax on natural gas up to $1,500 per ton that will cost the American economy up to $9 billion and cost 90,000 American jobs. Um, it, it gives wealthy Americans tax credits, furthers Democratic social justice agenda, grants amnesty for millions of illegal immigrants. House Democrats have included in their reconciliation bill a plan to grant amnesty to around 8 million illegal immigrants at a cost of around $100 billion over 10 years. Order borders even wider open, opens borders even more. The bill would waive many grounds for immigration inadmissibility, including infection or lack of vaccination. I mean, it, so the, the document goes on and on. There's like 44 of these things, but they also have links to, to the page of the bill that you can go read. It, it's just, it's just a destruction of America bill. And the Republicans are, are just pretending that they can't stop this. We must stop this. You must call your congressman and your house and your center. So go to the We the People Convention podcast page. So when you go to WeThePeopleConvention.org, the first you know thing, there's these four blocks. The yellow one is the podcast page. You click on that. You'll see the links to this story. This PDF will be there. You need to print it out. You need to you know, copy it. You need to send it to your congressman and say, how the hell can you agree to this? And I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. You need to put this in front of because they don't even know what's in it. They don't know what's in it. Mark my words. This is a great document. We've all been looking for it. Kill these bills dead. And that includes no raising the debt ceiling because they need to raise the debt ceiling to pass this crap. And so what is the result of all this stuff? What's going on? Inflation is exploding, people. Food prices across the world have risen to the highest levels in a decade on the back of tightening supply conditions, conditions coupled with robust demand, according to Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. The FOA Food Price Index, which measures world food commodity prices, has surged by 32.8% in the, in the 12 months since 12 months through September, coming at a reading of 130 points, a level not seen since 2011, 10 years ago. A month-over-month basis, the index rose 1.2%. Accounting for the bulk of the rise in the index were higher prices for most cereals and vegetable oils. The uh, FOIA vegetable oil price index was up 60% September from a year earlier, and the cereal prices measures were up 27% over, a year, uh, over the year. Dairy and sugar prices also rose in September by over uh, an average of over 15.2% year over year. Um, and, and see, so dairy was up 15.2%. 
sugar prices were up 53.5%. While much of the inflation story has been focused on surging energy costs and products affected by the semiconductor chip shortage, such as used cars, rising food costs signal an increasing flashing red light. As the U.S. economy rebounds, really, packaged food companies are grappling with inflation, with Con Agra Brands Inc. saying on October 7th that it would increase prices again on its frozen meals and snacks. Food makers General Mills and Campbell's Soup and J.M. Smuckers also raised wholesale prices in response to rising ingredients and freight costs. Pork and beef prices have surged in the past few months, while the Labor Department's August inflation report showed that meat, poultry, fish, and eggs were up 8% over the past year and 15.7% from prices of August 2019 before the pandemic. Beef prices jumped 12.2% over the past year, and bacon was up 17%. Experts say increasing energy costs around the world could exasperate the problem. This is a combination of things that beginning to get very worrying, said a senior economist, economist at the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, told Bloomberg in a recent interview, it's just not just that the isolated food price numbers, but all of them together. I don't think anyone two or three months ago was expecting the energy prices to get this strong. See, they didn't expect it because they weren't paying attention. And Joe Biden was just implementing these regulations and things that are exasperating this. Okay, so so guess what happens next? Okay, and you're first you're going to look at this. You're going to say, okay, inflation is soaring. This is a problem. But then look what happens next. Social Security could get the biggest cost of living increase in 40 years amid COVID inflation surge. The Senior Citizens League says to expect an unusual big 6% to 6.1% adjustment next year. The average retiree getting $1,559 a month would get $93.54 more. Okay? Now, after years of puny increases in their Social Security checks, older Americans will, will likely get the equivalent of a big raise next year. The 68 million people, retirees, retirees, disabled people, and others who rely on the benefits are likely to receive a 6 to 6.1% cost of living adjustment. Such a rise would far outpace the 1.4% average bumps of Social Security payments since, 2000, uh, since 2010 and amount to the largest increase since 1982. Okay? Now, that sounds great, except we just talked to you about the inflation and how food costs are going up 15%. So how far is that 6% going to go? And second of all, where are we going to get it? Right? Where are we going to get to 6%? The Social Security and Medicare programs are both in financial trouble. Right? And so they're going to print more money? Well, that's where the inflation is coming from. Inflation comes from dumping money into the, the economy without people working to earn it. Okay? That's the source of this. And so all the money we've given out for COVID and stuff is, is, is part of the problem, not part of the solution. you got to work. So guess what's happening now, okay? And I said, who's going to sustain Social Security? Look at this article. Americans are quitting jobs at record rates. A record number of U.S. workers voluntarily quit their jobs in August, led by bar and restaurant employees as well as retail staff, according to figures released Tuesday, October 12th, by the Department of Labor. The Labor Department's monthly job openings and labor turnover survey, known as the JOLTS report, shows that 4.3 million 
Americans left their jobs. Now, we already have like 11 million jobs unfilled and 4.3 million left. The quits rose by 2.9%, which is an increase of 242,000 from the previous month and represents the highest figure and data that goes back to December 2000, 21 years ago. So the question is, if you don't work, you're not paying into Social Security, how do you give a 6% raise? Do you understand how this doesn't work? Do you understand how this is all negative? It's going backwards. It's not going forward. And that's why we're spiraling, spiraling out of control. This is an, an insane. And now you've got these airlines and other groups who are putting forward these, you know, these uh, vaccine mandates. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit here about how thousands more are going to quit. Because they don't want the jab. These 4.2 million people, 4.3 million people, they aren't just quitting work because they don't want to work. They're quitting work because they don't want the jab. And these, there's going to be huge consequences. For instance, energy crisis may trigger winter blackouts across the U.S., says this coal firm CEO. The energy crisis that has led to storages and blackouts in Europe and Asia could hit the United States this winter. The chief executive at energy firm says, we've exactly actually had discussions with power utilities who are concerned that they simply will have to implement blackouts this winter, said Ernie Thasher, the head of ex-coal energy and resources, according to Bloomberg News. They don't see where the fuel is coming from to meet demand because the Biden administration has blocked Things like the Keystone XL pipeline, things like you know uh, energy things in Alaska, offshore drilling, drilling on federal lands. We were energy independent and an exporter. Now we're looking to Saudi Arabia to give us energy. Okay. He also stated that utilities are switching to coal from natural gas during the fall and winter months to keep up demand. Our friend Jim Quinn from thewarroom.com, who's one, one of the great political minds in our country, I think. We listen to his podcast in the morning, every morning. He says the, the left always achieves the opposite of their stated intent. So all the greeny, weeny, woke, you know, Biden regime, environmental, you know, terrorists who want to say we're going to save the planet, their policies are getting utilities to switch to coal from natural gas because they're that stupid, Okay. The global demand for power has increased as economies attempt to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, triggering natural gas shortages primarily in Europe and Asia because the U.S. isn't carrying their weight anymore. Power producers, including Duke Energy, have warned customers that bills may spike this winter. Duke's Piedmont Natural Gas Unit stated on October 5th that higher gas prices and lower production will raise customer bills by approximately $11 per month in North and South Carolina. Believe me, it's going higher than that. Uh, and so, you, you know, people are worried about what's coming because of our stupidity, because of our failed policies, okay? And I said to you that, you know, we're going to, I'm going to show you how this works, how they are, they are responsible for what's happening. This is not an accident. So that, let's take the issue of the supply chain backlog. And, and so Biden had finally woke up. Right. He finally woke up and he had a press conference to face the, you know, the fact that there are 70 now 
giant ships parked off of L.A. Harbor in the ocean. And by the way, one of their anchors is probably responsible for the oil spill that flooded Huntington Beach, California with oil last week because they're parked out there when they wouldn't normally be parked out there. Again, the left always achieves the opposite of their stated purpose, right? Okay, it's their policies that did this. And so now Biden says, we're going to go, uh, we're going to address this problem. We're going to work 24-7 to get rid of the backlog. Yeah, not so much. Despite President Biden's announcement Wednesday that the severely backlogged Port of Los Angeles would expand into 24-7 operating hours, similar to the Port of Long Beach, port officials are saying the backlog will continue until the summer of 2022. Noel Hassabaugh, Deputy Executive Director of Port of Long Beach, said expanding the port's operating hours will not impact the supply chain distribution given the continued shortage of truck drivers, chassis equipment, and warehouse operations in space. We think it'll be summer of 2022 before we clear all 60 ships, Hassabaugh told the Epoch Times on October 14th. Of course, if we take some measures now and everyone in the supply chain starts spending their hours of operations, we'll get there sooner. But as Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story, courtesy of the Conservative Treehouse, a website you should go to. And it's, it's really got some great information, Conservative Treehouse. Here's what's happening. Hundreds of requests for details and specifics of the container shipping backlog. So I spent three days calling sources, digging for details and gathering information on the substantive issue at hand. The epicenter of the problem is not what is being outlined by financial media, corporate media, and politicians have a specific interest in distracting from the issues at hand. This is nothing to do with COVID-19. The issue being discussed today relates to events that happened a long time ago. As a matter of fact, it was so predictable that Amazon, Walmart, UPS, FedEx, Samsung, the Home Depot, and Target all had taken action years ago, long before COVID, because they knew this day would come. It was not accidental that those companies showed up at the White House to discuss the issue because they there's now a full court press to hide what's really going on. Here's what's really going on. The trucking issue with California LA ports and the Long Beach ports is that all semi-tractor trailers have to be current with new California emission standards. As a consequence, that means trucks cannot be older than three years old if they are to pick up or deliver containers at those ports. That's why the containers are sitting there. There's no trucks to go get them because of these bogus, heinous, environmental wacko laws. The issue wipes out approximately half of the fleet trucks used to move containers in and out of ports. Got that? 50% of the trucks can't be used. Operating the port 24-7 will not cure the issue because all it does is pile up more containers that sit, sit idle as they wait a limited number of trucks to pick them up. This is the central issue. On October 16, 2020, the EPA reached a settlement agreement with the California Air Resources Board to shut down semi-tractor trailer rigs that were non-compliant with new California emission standards. Here's what they did. Today, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency okay, announced settlements with three interstate trucking companies imposing $417,000 in penalties for violating California's Air Resource Board's federally enforceable truck and bus regulation. 
drainage truck regulation, and transport refrigeration unit regulations. As trucks are one of the largest source of air pollution in California, so they say, EPA will continue to ensure that heavy-duty vehicles will have the needed pollution control equipment and operate in compliance with the rules, said EPA Pacific Southwest Regional Administrator John Bustred. These companies have agreed to bring their trucks into compliance and operate more cleanly in all the communities they serve. Yeah, yeah, not so much. That's what's happening. Trucks docked you know, out in the bay waiting for months. That's why there'll be no Christmas presents in the stores. That's why you can't order things and they get here in a timely manner. Because of policy, folks. Not because of capitalism. Not because of greed. Because of bad government. That affects you. That's going to really affect you. Okay? And so what happened to this week? You got to love this. And again, well, here's what happened. Governor DeSantis of Florida offers a solution to supply chain issues that Newsom, the California governor, has exasperated. Okay? So what does is, what is DeSantis do? He says, we have a supply chain problem in this country as illustrated by the empty shelves of delayed products in every retail chain and small enterprise. Everything from electronic equipment to appliances to fresh dog food is limited or non-supply because of this bottleneck. While Governor Newsom's preens and postures and belches and brags about how the state is doing better than Texas Florida, he's doing nothing to resolve the issue of ships in the port of Los Angeles. But uh, now Florida may be leading the way to a possible solution to the country's supply chain issues. Governor Ron DeSantis and the CEO of Florida Ports Council, Michael Rubin, extended an invitation to those languishing ships to travel southeast and fill their ports. Florida is not only ready, but able to handle the offloading and the distribution of goods across the country. So Florida is putting out the word to shipping companies that the ports in the Sunshine State are open and ready for business. Florida is where your success comes in, and our seaports are the solution to ensure the cargo shipping long jam doesn't become the Grinch that stole Christmas, says Michael Rubin, President and CEO of the Council Ports Council. So why, when Biden had his press conference, didn't he say, we have a solution, go to Florida? You know why? Unions. Unions. The ports in L.A. and California are union controlled, right? They don't want a solution. They want to hurt you. They want to hurt your family. They want to hurt your business. They want to destroy capitalism. They are paid by the Chinese to do that. Joe Biden has been paid by the Chinese to do that. Kamala Harris, go to WeThePeopleConvention.org. Just search in the little eyeglass. Search on China Democrats. You'll see the page where I document where everyone in this regime is getting paid by the commies, okay, to destroy our country. Trump would have been all over this. Can you imagine the things that try, he'd be building ports, docks, he'd be building new kinds of ships. You, I mean, he'd be using helicopters to fly those containers to the right place. Who knows? This is the difference between free markets, between individual freedom and liberty, and state stupidity. State control is stupid control. The reason our country became the most successful in the history of the world was the structure of our country that gave us the individual ability 
to compete with our ideas and find solutions a committee, no matter how educated they are, could ever find. Just look at the Soviet Union, look at Mao's China, because they couldn't create anything because they killed thoughts and ideas. Okay, so a couple more things got to go on to, and then we'll get to a break here. The school board association slammed the NSBA's letter to DOJ over threats to school officials. So this is a follow-up on the story that everyone's rightfully upset about, that uh, you know, Attorney General Garland, who has you know, two conflicts of interest now, not only is his son's and daughter, uh, his son-in-law and daughter's business getting millions of dollars from school districts to teach your kids critical race theory, the AG is, he should have recused himself. He's a, he's a despicable human being. His wife is also involved. His family is benefiting from these policies that he's trying to stop you from protesting. Okay. So, you know, we've been out there protesting. You guys have been showing up. That's good. That's what we need to do. You're running for school board. We need to do that. But this story came out that said, uh, school board associations in Louisiana, Virginia, and Florida condemned the letter that the National School Board Association sent to the White House, emphasizing that local law enforcement is capable of handing any threats that may arise at school board meetings. The Department of Justice memorandum last week that directed Federal Bureau of Investigation to arrest threats against school board administrators, board members, teachers, and staff. This after the NSBA September 28th letter to Joe Biden requests the assistance of federal law enforcement to handle threats of violence against school board officials. Now, again, we did an article last week. You can look it up. That was a setup. That was a planned hit job. Okay. This was a, cons- they were a conspiracy. The Biden White House lefties, the Justice Department, the National Teachers Unions conspired to get this letter sent out to intimidate you and scare you and all parents from going to their school board meetings. And you know what? It ain't working because you're not stopping. But in response to the NPA's letter to the president, the Louisiana School Board Association, the Virginia School Board Association, and the Florida School Board Association issued separate letters in which they each stated their disagreements with the national organization. And while acknowledging that threats against schools uh, do occur, that they can be handled by local officials. Okay? But here's the problem. Here's the problem with this. They wrote letters saying, we disagree with you. But they didn't tell the schools in their in their states to drop their membership, to defund these people, because it is clear as a bell that these people conspired to attack the parents and the taxpayers who fund their schools. And these cowards in Louisiana and Virginia, you know, school board associations, they didn't they didn't defend you. They just were virtue signaling. Oh, it's they're the bad guys, not us. No, you're the bad guys. And how come there were only three states? How come there weren't 50 states that wrote letters? But most importantly, why haven't they said, we are dropping out of this communist national school board association? You got to call your school and demand and ask them, are you members of the, uh, do you pay dues to the uh, NSBA, okay, the National School Board Association? Do we write a check? Call the treasurer of your school district and ask them that. And if they do, demand that they cancel it and send them the thing from the, from the We the People Convention, uh, .org website. Share with them the article that shows that they colluded 
with the unions and the White House to attack your parents. And that's the grounds for getting out of their organization. Because that organization isn't for parents, isn't for students, isn't for your schools. It's for communism. Okay. Last week, I told you about the 149, 147 project and their efforts to uh, get One America News off of DirecTV by having people call AT&T. I hope you called AT&T. I hope you went to uh, investors.att.com slash resources slash contacts and you got the information you know, and wrote to them and said, do not censor us. We have a right to have all the information and One America News provides information that I don't get anywhere else. Defend them. Now, I did notice in my subsequent emails from this 147 Project group that they only did that one email and dropped off of it. And now their big project is that the January 6th commission has subpoenaed Steve Bannon. And now all the lefties want to make Steve Bannon the next poster child for how we're going to destroy you if you stand up against us. And so now their project is focusing on that. Stay on the AT&T thing. If you didn't call last week, call this week. Defend a One America News, and then we'll talk about what's going to happen with Steve Bannon down the road. Okay? All right. We're going to take a little break. I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I got, I got two more. I got to talk about this story. This is a really big story. I'm sorry about this. I put this out because our whole thing has been about, this is all about China. It's all about you know us fighting China, that China wants to rule the world. And then this week, what happens? Our top security, cybersecurity guy resigned and said, we have no fighting chance against China in AI. This was horrific, folks. This is terrible. Uh, this came out on the 11th. A former top information technology officer at the Department of Defense says he quit because the U.S. has all but lost the upcoming cyber war with China. We have no competing fighting chance against China in 15 to 20 years. Right now, it's already a done deal. It's already over, in my opinion, Nicholas Chalin told the Financial Times in an interview published Sunday. Chalin resigned last month saying the Pentagon puts laggards in charge of cyber projects which, in which they have no expertise. We are setting up a critical infrastructure fail, he said in his letter of resignation. We would not put a pilot in the cockpit without extensive flight training. Why would we expect someone with no IT experience to be close to successful? While we wasted time in bureaucracy, our adversaries moved further ahead, Shalin wrote. Most of his time, he said, was spent fixing basic cloud things and laptops instead of helping Americans keep pace with cyber rivals. In a subsequent Lincoln post on Sunday, Shalin wrote, says words were tended as a warning. For those who saw this article, I want to clarify one thing. I never said we lost. I said as it stands, if we don't wake up now, we have no fighting chance to win against China in 10 to 15 years, he wrote. Shalin, 37, who came to the Pentagon in 2018 as the first chief software officer for the U.S. Air Force, indicated cyber protections in some federal agencies and departments as at the kid is at the kindergarten level. America spends big in the wrong places, he said, investing billions in projects as the F the F-35 fighter instead of cybersecurity. He also noted that China harnesses all the power of its resources, while in the U.S. Big tech companies such as Google keep their distance from the federal government. Yeah, big tech is not on our side, and they're forced to help China and 
Do we make any laws to stop that? Did we do anything to help ourselves? No, we didn't. And this guy resigned. Warning, warning, red lights, red lights. Okay, well, that's a lot of serious news in the first half of the show. So I'm going to go a little more lighthearted here. I'm going to play you this video that I think is really good. It'll make you laugh. We'll take a little break and I'll be back. You're listening to the We The People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski. Those fact checks keep a coming. Looks like I'm banned again. Ain't been allowed on Twitter since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Facebook prison. My profile page is gone. And I'm not rightly knowing just what I done wrong. Oh, selfies with my puppies, corny memes and puns. I've tried to be a good boy, not trying to hurt no one. Got shadow banned on Vimeo, but I'm not sure why. Some tender whistleblower flagged my love life as a lie. Sir, you're charged with posting, quote, good morning. It's not a good morning for everyone, sir. Check your white privilege. But I... On September 21st of this year, did you not post a photo to Facebook with the caption, quote, nice, warm day today? Well, uh, probably, but... It wasn't a warm day for the people of Antarctica, sir. Who lives in Antarctica? Penguins, sir. Lots of penguins. But penguins aren't people. Racist! Everything I post is questioned. Each fact I post is wrong. They'll probably even fact check the lyrics in this song. They think I should be censored, and if I disagree, my posts they'll keep removing until they cancel me. I hereby find you guilty as charged and sentence you to 30 days in Facebook jail. But I'm not guilty, and that's the truth. This court is not interested in the truth, sir. Only the facts. And the fact is, you are guilty of non-compliance to our agenda. Wait, what? Is that a question? We don't allow anyone to question anything, sir. That will be another 30 days. Well, when they free me from this prison, next time I speak my mind, you can bet I'll think it over before I cross the line. Won't spread misinformation, speak truth in all I say. And if it violates their standards, I'll post it anyway. The We The People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We The People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We The People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. All right, and we're back, and we hope you enjoyed that song. 
Uh, you know, it's uh, linked on our website. You can share that with other people. Uh, you may want to go back and play that again and resume the podcast later. But uh, I, I got a kick out of that. It was great work. There's a couple versions of that out there, but I thought that was the best one. Uh, it's done by a, a local TV uh, radio guy in, uh, in Cleveland at uh, 1420 The Word, uh, who's a, an engineer or something. And he, he wrote it. So that was great. Good stuff. So, okay. Back to, unfortunately, serious things, okay? Very serious things. And uh, the one of the most serious things is that the media is not talking about the people who are dying from the vaccine. And uh, reports of deaths after COVID vaccines near 16,000 CDC urges pregnant women to get the vaccine. The VAERS data released Friday by the CDC included a total of 752,803 reports of adverse events from all age groups following the COVID vaccines, including 15,937 deaths and 105,758 serious injuries between December 14, 2020 and September 24, 2021. Um, that's a bunch of deaths, folks. And when you consider the fact that other vaccines have had 25 deaths and have been pulled off the market and they're not doing that here uh, is just criminal and they don't report it. And then they say, well, why don't you want to get the vaccine? Well, that's why I don't want to get the vaccine. That's there's the reason I don't want to get the vaccine because look at it's what it's doing to people. We got to stop this. It's, it's madness. And so those of you who are, you are fighting the fight, you're fighting the fight for good reason. If you've already had COVID and you've got immunity, you know, and you're not over 65, what the heck is the reason for you to get it? And so I was really happy to see this week that Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, gave an executive order basically banning vax mandates for any entity in the state of Texas. Um, Abbott uh, on Monday issued an executive order that bans vaccine mandates by any entity, including private employers in the state. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe, effective, and our best defense against the virus, which isn't true, but should remain voluntary and never forced, Abbott said in a statement upon issuing the order. I said that isn't true because the fact is that the vaccine doesn't protect you from getting COVID. He says the best defense against the virus? No, it doesn't stop you from getting it. It only reduces the symptoms. That's, again, the lie we've been told. Go back and look last year. Pfizer, you know, uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, they all said 96% uh, effective in preventing disease. If you take this, you won't get COVID. The, it's already clear. The majority of deaths coming now. And remember, last year, there were less deaths when there was no vaccine than there have been this year when supposedly 70 or 75% of the population has gotten a vaccine. There were more deaths. So how does a vaccine defend you from the, from the, the COVID? It doesn't. That's why I said that was wrong. The executive order uh, says no entity in Texas can compel recipients of COVID-19 vaccines by any individual, by any individual, including an employee or a consumer who objects to such vaccination for any reason of personal conscience based on a religious belief or for medical reasons, including prior recovery from COVID-19. I hereby suspend all relative statutes to the extent necessary to enforce 
uh, this, this prohibition, Abbott wrote in the order. He also issued, uh, added the issue as an agenda item to the third special legislative session, which is currently uh, convened until October 19th, to give lawmakers the opportunity to pass a law of similar effect. Where are the other Republican governors? I wrote to Ohio Governor Mike DeWine this week, where are you? Ohio's supermajority, super-duper majority, out of 27 senators in Ohio, 22 are Republican. Out of, out of 100 House members in Ohio, 66 are Republican. They didn't pass a vax mandate ban. They didn't do it. Why? Because the pressure from big business, from pressure from big business, okay? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. I'll explain that to you in a minute, okay? But let me go on because we're pushing back and we're not, you know, we're not accepting this. And many of you may have seen this, but if you haven't seen this, I wanted to play this Joe Rogan video who, where he's interviewing the, the medical guy from CNN. And man, this is great. And then I'll tell you why it's great in a second. So watch this video. Horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. It, it, and it's a lie that's a willing, that's, that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. Well, the FDA put this thing out. You saw that. Did you see the thing that the FDA put out? What did the FDA put out? <laughs> it was a tweet, and it was snarky. I admit it. They said, you are not a horse, you are not a cow. Stop taking this stuff, or something like Why that. Why would you say that when you're talking about a drug that's been given out to billions and billions of people, a drug that was responsible for one of the inventors of it making the Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize in 2015. 15, yeah. Yeah, no, a, a drug well, that has been shown to stop viral replication in vitro. You know that, right? I, I, Why would they lie? and say that's horse dewormer. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just a lie. I don't think anyone is thick. But don't you think that a lie like that is dangerous on a news network when you know that they know they're lying? You know that they know that I took medicine. Like, here it is. This is ivermectin. You got this it with it right you. here. Somebody gave it to me. All right, hang on. I, I, do you, the, the thing is, we're, we're, we're like going so fast. Like, I feel like I'm missing. I'm missing. Do you think I want that that's to, a problem, that your news network it was not, lies? Well, I don't. I don't. Th Dude, I mean, what did they say? They lied what and they said I was taking horse dewormer. First of all, it was prescribed to me by a doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Along they with shouldn't have said a it was bunch of if, other if medications. Was, if you got a human pill, because there were people that were taking it, the veterinary medication, and I, you're not obviously. You got it from a doctor, so that it shouldn't be called that. Ivermectin can be a very effective medication. For parasitic disease, and as you say, it's probably, you know, I think, what, a quarter billion people have taken it around the world? More, I get that. Way more. So Way but, more. Can, Billions can, of people have taken it. Can I just come back to the one? I want to talk about I, two, no, no, two, no, no, two no, things no. on you the have ledger. To, you have, before we get to that, does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied? Well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer? They, they, they shouldn't have said that. Why did they do that? I don't know. You didn't ask? You I didn't think that was your, did, you're the medical guy over there. I didn't ask. I should have asked before coming But they coming did it the with such glee. No, yes, Joe. I watched. So there you have it. You lied. You absolutely lied. He caught him. Now, here's why this is important. Because CNN can beat people up because those people are defenseless. They are the epitome of bullies, right? Bullies aren't courageous. They only pick on the weak. Right. So when they have this this 
you know, and it's really not a big mouthpiece. Unfortunately, you know, we amplified, you know, Tucker Carlson and Fox can't shut up about what MSC, MSLSD and CNN do, okay, when nobody's watching the bloody networks. And so here's my point. Joe Rogan has like 2 million viewers. That podcast, last I looked, had 3.7 million views. You know how many views CNN has? Yeah, like at their best time, like 450,000. You know what happened to CNN ratings after this aired? The Greg Stelter show ratings went like dropped by 75% or some amount because he, Joe Rogan, reaches some of the fools that watch CNN and they got their eyes open that you're listening to liars, liars who won't even admit they're liars. That's why we fight back. That's why you got to stand up. Joe Rogan stood up. We're going to talk about some other people who didn't in a moment. But here's the worst part of this whole stupidity. Joe Biden's vax mandate doesn't even exist, folks. There was an article that came out. And again, this is what Obama used to do. What Obama would do, like with, with gay marriage and with transgenderism, they would put out a letter saying that you know they support you know transgenderism and they're going to do an executive order or whatever, but they never made any law. And then all the lefties just pretend it's law. And all of us on the right who follow the law, we would think, well, I guess it's law. I didn't hear that part. And then we would let them get away with it. Stop it. Stop it. This is not law. Joe Biden's vax mandate doesn't exist. Yes, we've all heard about Joe's alleged vaccine mandate for private companies employing 100 people or more. It's all over the news, even before it was announced on September 9th. His announcement has jeopardized the employment of millions of Americans and increased worker shortages in critical domains such as healthcare and public safety, like police and fire. There's only one problem. It's all a mirage. Biden's so-called vaccine mandate doesn't exist, at least not yet, or not yet. So far, all we have is his press conference and other such made-for-media huffing and puffing. No such rule, even claiming to be legally binding, has yet been issued. That's why nearly two dozen Republican attorney generals who have publicly voiced their opposition, that's 24 attorney generals, to the clearly unconstitutional and illegal mandates, haven't yet filed suit against it, the Office of Indiana and Attorney General confirmed for me. There is no mandate to haul into court, and that may be part of the plan. Because they know what they're doing is illegal, just like what they did with the, um, you know, don't pay your, your rent because of COVID through the CDC. The Supreme Court threw that out. They're using the same legal basis to do this, and they know it's going to get thrown out. But in the meantime, they're using this to hurt you, and we're letting them. You need to send this article to the, to the people who are telling you that they have to do this and say, why? You, you don't have any legal grounds to stand on. According to several sources, so far it appears no such mandate has been sent to the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs yet for approval. The White House, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, the Department of Labor, haven't released any official guidance for the alleged mandate. There is no executive order. There's nothing but press statements. Despite what you may have been falsely led to believe by the media fantasy projection machine, press statements have exactly zero legal authority. 
There's nothing there yet that gives employers any mandate, Stephanie McFarland, spokesman, a spokeswoman for the Indiana Occupational Safety and Health Administration, told me on October 6th. The president made an announcement on this asking OSHA to do that, but we have not yet seen anything come from it yet. She also said when the state agencies get any information, she said, then we'll review it and we'll act. Lawyers for big business were blunt about their love for this mandate mirage. Everybody loves this cover, Minneapolis employment lawyer Kate Bershoff told Bloomberg Law in September. Many were already looking down the road at doing this, but the fact that they get to blame Biden is like manna from heaven. Don't believe the lie. Stand up and question it. And we are. People are. And I posted this article on WeThePeopleConvention.org, and it's a good one. It's, a, it's an op-ed piece by a guy named Rick Manning at Town Hall. And I, I, you know, I'm going to read some of it for you because I think it was really good. But it basically says that civil disobedience is sending the message that we will not be bullied, whether that's at school board meetings, whether that's at work, wherever it is. There's a feeling of disquiet in the air in America. Something, some systems that we take for granted are suddenly broken. Shelves that are normally full aren't. Our government thinks they get to determine if we have Thanksgiving or Christmas with our families. Our military has ended an American promise that no one left behind by unilaterally leaving Afghanistan, deliberately leaving thousands of Americans and our allies behind. Millions of jobs are open while millions remain on the unemployment rolls or drop out. The Biden Justice Department has declared that parents attending school board meetings are domestic violent threats. And now airline schedules are little more than wish lists as air traffic controllers and pilots are making individual protests against the Biden vaccine mandates, which threaten the jobs of thousands of these trained professionals. So what's happening here? It is civil disobedience that the left has urged since at least the 1960s being put into action by those who contribute to modern civilization. It is a civil disobedience that Anne Rand extols in her seminal 1950s novel Atlas Shrugged as people ask, who is John Galt? In response to a question about why everything was failing and failing into despair and falling into despair. For today, the question is not about this Mr. Galt fellow, but instead, why are so many people saying, let's go, Brandon? Okay? The bottom line is, we know our government is out of control and damaging us, and we've had enough, and we're standing up, and we're pushing back, and civil disobedience works, okay? Now, I had one of our people who works in the airline industry write to me and challenge an, uh, an article I put out on the Weed People Convention that the uh, the, the Southwest Airlines, uh, you know, you know, cancellation of flights last week was caused by pilots, you know, calling in sick. He informed me that that really wasn't the case, that it was really weather-related, but I did say to him, well, then maybe the pilots didn't all walk out, or not a large percentage, but there was a walkout of air traffic controllers in Jacksonville, okay, at the Air Control Center in Jacksonville, and that's why so many Florida flights were canceled. And now here's a story that says 40% of TSA agents are unvaccinated as the mandate deadline booms, or looms. President Biden announced vaccine mandate for private employers is being blamed for flight disruptions. And now this mandate for federal workers is posing a threat of further travel chaos, with TSA admitting that 40% of its agents remain unvaccinated six weeks before the deadline. We have about 60% of our workforce that has been vaccinated, and that number needs to go quite up quite a bit higher over the next few weeks. 
The November 22nd deadline is only two days prior to the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which is usually the nation's busiest travel day of the year. Now, what moron would put that deadline on knowing that? Stupid big government would do that. No businessman would do that. No one with a brain would do that, right? But that's what they're doing. We're going to put the deadline right before Thanksgiving. And some of the airlines are doing that for pilots, okay? Meanwhile, Sheet Metal Air, Rail, and Transportation Union, known as SMART, announced on behalf of its 203,000 members that it is standing against forced vaccinations. On Wednesday, the Navy said all active duty personnel must be vaccinated by November 28th or face separation. Navy personnel can request an exemption for medical or religious reasons, but a previous infection or positive serology test will not exempt service members. Lawsuits are being filed all over the place to show they can't do that. You can't do that. And then this week, today, while this is being broadcast on October 16th, half of the Chicago police force is going to walk out, their union guy says, is going to walk. Chicago. How many murders are there all the time anyway? How many are going to be when half the police force walks out? That's what it's all about. Okay. Now, I sent out a very important article to you this week, and I got a lot of feedback, and you people were very happy to get this, particularly if you're one of the people in a position where your job is in jeopardy because of a vax mandate. This guy named Jeff Childers has a website called uh, COVID and Coffee, and he put out this document that came to me from one of our members. And it's a comprehensive guide for folks facing imminent vaccination or termination employment policies. And this, quite frankly, folks, was the best advice that I've seen anywhere. This guy, now I only put on our webpage at WeThePeopleConvention.org, I put the introduction to it and, and, and kind of his overall advice. But he goes step by step by step and says flat out, your employer is wrong. They cannot do this to you. And here's how you fight it. And his first thing he said, though, throughout is, do not quit. Do not quit. That's when you get in trouble. You, he tells you how to write emails, how to protect yourself. This document, you need to sh- print it out, go to his website, get the whole thing. It's written where anyone can understand it and send it to everyone you know. Because They do not have the upper hand. They're faking you out. They're fooling you into thinking you can't fight this. They're going to lose. You know why they're going to lose? Because Biden and the Democrats know they are going to pay a horrific price for this. Okay? Because they're going to get pounded. There, I read this week that there's a House seat in in, uh, Iowa that the Democrats have held for like I don't know, it was like a 46 years or something has been a Democrat seat. The Republicans are going to win. It's because of this nonsense, okay? And so the Democrats, speaking of that, and, 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 and them having to pay a price, Democrats are extremely worried about losing Virginia. They're sending an Obama. <laughs> I, I love it. They're sending an Obama. When Obama was president, wherever they sent him, they lost. He has zero coattails. People don't like Barack and Michelle Maybell Obama. Okay? He has no coattails unless you're a commie. Okay? So send them into Virginia. You know why they're in trouble in Virginia? Okay? Let me explain it to you. Democrat Virginia governor candidate says parents shouldn't have a say in what their children are taught. 
During his final debate on Tuesday evening, Democrat and former Governor Terry McAuliffe, a Clinton acolyte, said that parents should not have a say in what their children are taught in public schools. Listen to that. The Daily Wire reports, at one point during the debate, the candidates were asked about whether protections for transgender students should be determined at the state or local level. McAuliffe referenced a recent incident where a parent complained that two books available to high school students contained graphic sexual content and pedophilia. The school district removed the books and is currently reviewing them. McAuliffe said, I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books off and make their own decisions. McCulloch said to the audience who applauded, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. He actually said that. I get really tired of everybody running down teachers. I love our teachers and what they've done with COVID. They are real heroes who deserve our respect, he continued. So guess what happened, folks? He was leading and now he's losing because of that comment. And you know why? Because all those moms who were at these school board meetings in Loudoun County, Virginia. We're going to talk about that next, okay? All those moms are the suburban, white, guilty, woke, college-educated, stupid moms who didn't vote for Trump because he was too crass, and he voted for Joe Biden. But guess what? Now they're getting their heads handed to them because they're going to their school board meetings and being treated like trash or like Trumper supporters. Okay, and guess what? Their buddy, Joe Biden, who they elected and voted for. Yeah, he's the one who sickened the FBI after them. So guess what they're doing? They ain't voting for no damn Democrats no more. That's what they're doing. Because stupid people like McAuliffe, the communist. What is a more communist statement than this? You know, I don't think that parents should be telling schools what they should teach. You don't think that? Who the hell are you? You're a damn commie. That's what he is. And all of you who listen to this, and I know I have listeners in Virginia, you need to rise up and crush these people. The problem in Virginia is voter turnout. When the Democrats took over the the, the governorship last time, the voter turnout was only like 40%. And what did the guy do? That was the governor who said, you should be able to kill babies after they're born. Remember that? Now McAuliffe is going to try to replace that moron, that Satanist, that sick human being who has no ethics or morals or respect for human life. They're going to tell you, you shouldn't be able to tell the schools what to teach your kids? Then who the hell should? Not in the United States. Individual freedom and liberty. You moms, I hope you learned your damn lesson. You were lied to. You were played. Your emotions drove your decisions, not your brains. Get your head out of your butt and fight this evil because they're going to destroy you and your kids and your family. We can win Virginia. And I want to say a shout out to my, my fellow patriots here in Ohio. Who, who basically I call them the Navy SEALs of the NRA. Because and if you haven't watched this podcast before or in a long time, I told you about how we won Ohio and how we worked with the NRA and how what happened nationally it was a great result to the texting campaigns that we did with the NRA. And the Ohio NRA Navy SEALs made more texts than everybody else combined. 
and they've been working in, in Virginia. And God bless all of one of you guys in, the, in Ohio and everywhere else who are working with the NRA and fighting for Virginia. Because we can take that state. We need to take that state away from the commie lips. Even with Fairfax and Loudoun County, with, which is basically all the federal employees who are leftists live there, you can still win in Virginia by turning out. Work. Get it done. Win Virginia. So that takes me, I've been talking about Loudoun County, Loudoun County, and you all saw, you know, the video of the father from Loudoun County who's unbelievably, his 15-year-old daughter was forcibly raped in a restroom in the Loudoun County schools by a queer, transgender, mentally ill person, a boy wearing a skirt, went into the women, girls, uh, girls' restroom and forcibly raped and sodomized his 15-year-old daughter. And then when he went to the school board meeting, when they, when they were covering it up and he wanted to address the issue, they wouldn't let him speak. And when he protested, they sent the police who beat him up and arrested him. And so now I'm happy to report today because what price freedom? you got to fight and you could get hurt. But now they're suing, okay? This is according to the Daily Mail. Woke London County Schools, $270,000 a year superintendent, apologizes for failing to protect female student, 15, for rape by a boy in a skirt in the girl's bathroom. He refuses to quit, but a board member resigns. It says, uh, let's see here. Loudoun County Superintendent Scott Singer remains in his job despite growing calls for him to resign. He spoke at a press conference on Friday to apologize for failing to keep kids safe. He didn't apologize. He's a liar. He he wants this transgender policy because he's a college indoctrinated leftist. He promises sweeping changes to procedure and told families, my heart aches for you. Yeah, sweeping changes. You use your, your, the bathroom of your gender, your sex, male or female. There is no gender fluidity. He going to do that? Yeah, I bet. Beth Bartz, 50, resigned from the woke London County School Board on Friday. She said it was the right decision for her and her family. On June 22nd, Ziegler, the superintendent, told a room full of angry parents the school had never received a report of sexual assault in the bathroom involving trans kids. Four weeks earlier, Scott Smith's daughter had reportedly been raped by a boy in a skirt. The school board insisted did not know about the reports when Ziegler made his comments. They're liars. They're all covering up for the transgender mafia. This We said this would happen, and it's happening more than you know because this proves it. They're covering it up. We said all along that boys, sick boys, mentally ill boys, would use this to rape and assault and expose themselves to girls, and it's happening all over the country, but you're not hearing about it because no one's allowed to talk about it. And these people, listen to this. Listen about how evil this is. So this Loudoun County School District covers it up, doesn't tell parents about it at all. Now, your school, you know that if there's a, a, a fight at your school or if there's a gun you know, a, a threat at your school, what do they do? They shut it down. They call all the parents. They make a big deal out of it. This girl gets raped. You know what they did? They reported to authorities, did not tell parents so they could protect their children. The boy transferred to another school and raped another girl in a restroom. 
Now this parent's family, the Smiths, are suing the school district, and I hope they go after him personally, the superintendent, because he had knowledge, and he covered it up, and he and, and, and he endangered all of the other uh, girls in that school. Make them pay. Make them pay. So I was awful glad to see that they filed the lawsuit, and he regrets it. My butt, he does not regret it. Speaking of regret, and a lot of you are not sports fans, and that's okay, but I want to talk about this. John Gruden, the coach of the Los Angeles, or excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders. They used to be the Las, they used to be the Oakland Raiders and the Las Vegas, Los Angeles Raiders. Now they're the Las Vegas Raiders. He resigned this week. Okay. And 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 it, there's a bunch of hubbub and all this stuff. But bottom line is that Gruden has been a, a, a really a, a big player in pro sports. He's a man's man, okay? And and you know, he's what exemplifies what's what pro sports should be, okay? Now, he's outspoken. And when he was an analyst for ESPN, which covers the NFL, he was writing personal emails to the president of the Washington Redskins, okay? Bruce Allen. And so the league is currently investigating the Washington Redskins, not the Washington football team. They're still the Redskins to me, okay? They're investigating them because this one player, Haskins from Ohio State, apparently sexually assaulted like 20 girls, cheerleaders and stuff, and other players. So they're reviewing like, it was like 400 or 600,000 emails. They're giving them a rectal exam is what they're doing because they want the owner to sell the team because he won't go with the woke crowd. Well, while he owned the team, Gruden was sending emails to him. Uh, Gruden's departure came after the New York Times reported that the NFL officials, as part of a separate workplace misconduct investigation that did not directly involve him, found that Gruden had casually and frequently unleashed mis- mis- misogynist homophobic language over several years to denigrate people around the game and to mock some of the league's most momentous changes. Momentous changes? Yeah. He denounced the emergence of women as referees, the drafting of gay players, and the tolerance of players protesting during the playing of the National Anthem, according to emails reviewed by the Times, which were released on purpose as a hit job to get this guy because in his emails, he called Roger Goodell the P word, part of a woman's anatomy, okay, and, and, and just call him clueless and anti-football. And you know what? We all agree with what he said. He's right, okay, what he said. But what they didn't tell you in the New York Times is that one of his emails, one of his emails that they didn't want you to know about, he said, former Las Vegas Raiders coach and NFL broadcaster John McGruden mocked President Biden in 2011, calling him a clueless P word, according to new leaked emails. He also just said that he was absolutely inept. Okay? Now, why do I bring this story up? We need strong men and strong women. We need fighters. We need people to never apologize. John Gruden wasn't even in the NFL when he made these emails. He was working for ESPN. So he was not subject to any employment you know, contract with the NFL. Okay? Understand that. So now he is with the NFL, but he didn't do this now, so he hasn't violated his contract. So why did he resign? 
He needed to not resign. John Gruden should have stood up and said, I said it, I meant it, I was right, and I won't apologize. And if you try to fire me, I will sue the hell out of you, and I'll own half this team because you have no right to fire me. That's what he should have said, and that's what he should do. Now, if he didn't get millions of dollars for this resignation, he's dumb as a box of rocks. His agent should be criminally prosecuted, okay? But here's the other thing. Football and men, where are the other coaches? Where are the other NFL coaches who know they've all thought the same thing and written the same thing and know all of this as bull crap? The gay football players, the, you know, the, the, you know, the women referees, the women announcers, all that crap. It's all woke garbage, right? They know it. They've said it. Where are they saying, listen, we have people in this league who have committed felonies, who beat women, who are now on the field playing, and they got a suspension of a few games. You're going to fire the guy? You're going to force him to retire because of an email? I may not agree with the email, or even if I do, I not agree with what he said, but I will defend his right to say it because those coaches know they say the same thing. And they should say, if you don't reinstate him, we ain't coaching this week. Then we'd get somewhere as a country. Where are you, men? Where are you? You're betraying not your, just yourself, not just your family. You're betraying all of us. You're hurting America. You're allowing the New York Times and the woke league offices to destroy one of the foundational things in our society, which is sports, which teaches men to be men. Do you understand that? You have a responsibility to the sports that made you millionaires. Cowards, you're cowards. Man the hell up, whatever the cost. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute with a book review of God. But at least appears some people are waking up. All right, it's good. Glad to see this. This is an interesting uh, a piece that came out by uh, Charles uh, Gasparino from the New York Post. He wrote a, 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 an investigative piece that basically says his business finally getting the memo. Forcing employees to hate each other using CRT is bad for business. Duh. Duh. Really? You really thought it'd be a good idea to take more than half your employees at Citibank or Chase or you know, GE and, and say you're a horrible person and you're oppressing the guy in the, in the booth or the woman in the booth next to you, okay? And let's, let's hate each other. Yeah, that's a good business strategy. And so now he's talking about how they're silently stopping some of this training, though. You know, Rufo, the guy from, uh, I think it's the, um, he's not from the Heritage Foundation, but Rufo is the guy that's been investigating all this stuff. He pointed out that, you know, they're still doing this at Walmart. He just disclosed uh, on Fox t this week, maybe it was Laura Engram's show, that Walmart has this horrific piece of garbage that basically telling all their white managers that you're pathetic, disgusting human beings and you should apologize for being alive. I mean, it was that onerous. What the hell's wrong with you people? You don't even know right from wrong because you don't use a brain. 
You just do what you're told. As we talked about at the beginning of this show, fight it with everything you've got. They're wrong and you will win. Fight it. And so I read a book this week that uh, you're going to want to get. It's, uh, it's called The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. It's by a, name, uh, a guy by the name of Gad Sad. It's really his name, G-A-D-S-A-A-D. And um, he's from Canada, but he's originally from Lebanon. And he's a, uh, a childhood. He lived during the Lebanese Civil War. They're a Jewish family. They were persecuted. You know, he really had some bad things in his life. But he talks about truth. And he exposes the left in academia. He's a professor, okay? And he just is fearless. The guy is just fearless. And in his book, he talks about how you fight him, okay? He talks about truth and how you defend truth. And the way, to sum it up, the way you defend truth is that you build a, a basically a wall of evidence that comes from very different sources that just basically makes it irrefutable. Because going back to Will Witt's book, which I talked to you about before, okay, where he talked about, you know, how to, how to, you know, talk to the left, how to change their minds. And the answer is to ask them questions, right? Because when you ask them questions, they can't explain anything, right? If you, if you ask them, you know, like I did the example about free speech, you know, who should decide what free speech is? they suddenly realize they don't want anybody to censor them, so they don't want people to censor free speech, right? So when you say, when does life begin, they don't have an answer for abortion. But you make them, you know, answer the questions, and you keep questioning until they realize they don't know what they're talking about. In his way of doing it, you basically just use science to prove that they don't have a leg to stand on. And so he talks about, you know, transgender, you know, and sex. It's really interesting because he knows his science. And if you read this book, you'll know the science that basically says, I got news for you. You're living a fantasy. You're living in a fantasy world and I won't live there with you. So I recommend this book. It's a good read. He's been on the talk show circuit. You've probably heard him. He has a podcast. So if you want to buy the book, you can you know, do his podcast. All right. So we're pretty much getting to the end of the show here. We're going to wrap some things up and, uh, Last week, you guys were all excited about the uh, contract with Trump, the contract between we the people of these United States and Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States. Spent a lot of time this week formalizing this document, getting some more input from you guys. Now, you're probably disappointed that I did not put this out to you in writing. And I really had a conflict with that because I understand how volatile this is and what an impact it could have if it's done right. And I couldn't put it out to you in writing because the enemy would get a hold of it and they would use it against us. They would preempt it. So I didn't do that on purpose. Now, we're getting there and we made progress. One of the things I did is we spent time looking at each point and saying, okay, what is the legal basis for this? If you were really going to do this, how would you do this? Okay. So when I had the section that says that, you know, you should get, you know, make it illegal to be part of the Communist Party, I changed it to say 
you must pledge that they will vote to immediately implement legislation similar to the Communist Control Act of 1954 to make it illegal to be a member or supporter of any organization that espouses anti-capitalist, socialist, communist, or Marxist beliefs or policies or actions intended to harm or destroy the Constitution of the United States with the penalty of being charged with sedition and found guilty either in prison or deported with the loss of U.S. citizenship. Now, okay, so... You'll notice I injected this Communist Control Act of 1954 because what I found was that there actually was laws already passed. Uh, the Communist Control Act of 1954 um, uh, is an American law signed by President Dwight Eisenhower on the 24th of August 1954 that outlaws the Communist Party of the United States and criminalizes membership in or support for the party or communist action organizations and defies uh, evidence to be considered by a jury in determining participation in the activities, planning, actions, objectives, and purposes of such organizations. And this was used to basically uh, arrest lots of people in the United States. Now, it was eventually struck down because they were restricting the ability of these people to have bank accounts and things like that. And so the Supreme Court of Arizona struck it down as a violation of their constitutional rights. But this can be re-implemented if you look at the history of the bill. But what I'm saying to you is we've done it before. And I put this in our document because when people come out and say, this is crazy, I can say, oh, yeah, it's already been done before. This is just better. Okay, so there's another thing that's called the Smith Act that we came across. And, and so we will use that. The Smith Act is, is also it's the Alien Registration Act um, was enacted on June 28th of 1940. It set criminal penalties for advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government by force or violence and required all non-citizen adults residents to register with the federal government. Approximately 215 people were indicted under the legislation, including alleged communists, anarchists, and fascists. Okay? And it continued, you know, for decades, but it was reversed again in 1957 and has been amended several times since, but it's a, it's a template because it, there's, that's Black Lives Matter. What this is, is against is Black Lives Matter. Right there on their website, they say that. We also had a section in our, in our you know, 15 points, which we still try to get down to 10. You know, I had a lot of comments on that, um, where we talked about how we're going to rein in uh, these federal agencies. Okay, so I had point 10. Well, the, any Republican running for Congress, House or Senate, must pledge that they will move, vote to move the headquarters and majority of employees for all federal agencies out of Washington, D.C. and place them in separate locations throughout the United States. Any federal agency that has a similar agency at the state level will have its budget cut by 80%, and I think that probably should be 90 and its role will legally be changed from rulemaking and enforcement agency to an advisory agency that is secondary to the state agency's decision-making and enforcement roles. Again, shift the power from the feds to the state. Furthermore, they will pass the Regulatory Accountability Act of 2017, which, among other things, repeals the Chevron and our doctrines and restricts the financial damages inflicted by administrative agency rulemaking on Americans and American businesses. So again, we came across this bill that was put up during the Trump term in 2017, the Regulatory Accountability Act, okay? Now, this act was put up by Republicans, 
and it combines six previously passed bills to eliminate what bill what bill sponsors call overly burdensome red tape and regulation. Title I, which regulates agencies, requires agencies to choose the lowest cost rulemaking alternative that meets statutory objectives and requires greater opportunity for public input and vetting of critical information. Title II, which repeals the Chevron Hour doctrines to end justice, judicial deference to bureaucratic statutory and regulatory interpretations. So we talked about last time that the Chevron decision says that all things being equal, the agency making the rule is right. We should be able to, we should be able to feel this in court and have an equal trial, not a deference to them. And this, this act would repeal that. Um, there were a couple more points in here, uh, but basically it requires agencies to account for the direct, indirect, and cumulative impacts of new regulations on small businesses and find flexible rates to reduce them, okay? Meaning the regulatory state can't just impose their will with no regard for the damage it does to the businesses, their customers, their communities, and citizens. That's when we got out of control. So in our document, our contract with President Trump, we're saying if you're going to run for House or Senate, you must immediately, once you get sworn in January 2023, you need to pass this Accountability Act and end the tyranny of the regulatory state on us. That's where much of what we don't like is happening. Okay, and that's why they cheated to steal the election because Trump was taking away their power. He was already doing this, but understand this didn't pass into law. Why? Paul Ryan, the Chamber of Commerce, K Street, the Republicans did nothing with Trump. They passed one piece of legislation the whole time he was president, and that was the tax cuts. That's it. Why didn't they pass this? Because they were anti-American. Because they hate you and us. Because Paul Ryan's a piece of human trash. Okay? This should have been passed. And if it was passed, they wouldn't have the votes to repeal it now. And it would be in effect. And they couldn't be doing all this stuff. They're doing this on the borders. And with immigration and everything else in the EPA. The Republicans didn't pass this. That's why we've got to have lawyers, and that's why we've got to have a contract with Trump that he will not endorse anyone who doesn't agree to pass these common sense, you know, constitution saving laws. That's why we're in the trouble we're in, because the Republicans sabotaged. We had the White House, the House, and the Senate. We didn't get it done because they didn't want to do it because they hated Trump and they liked their power. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up. A lot of you guys have been talking to me about you know things like uh, you know the uh, barn billboard program. You know how we're doing. We are still getting requests for barn billboards. We're putting them out there. Uh, I'm hoping that we're going to trigger that. Okay, I'm hoping that we're going to trigger that if we can get the uh, the secretary, the attorney general of Arizona, to charge the two Maricopa County executives who admitted on live TV in a congressional hearing under oath that they intentionally deleted the voter files. I've asked you to call Brodovich, the AG of Arizona. Trump, I understand, just put out something. He's pressuring him to act. 
Someone wrote to me this morning and said, Tom, nothing's going to change until we hold these people accountable, until people are put in prison. Fines are made and paid. We must use force, legitimate force. I agree. If we can get the AG in Arizona to charge these criminals with intentionally violating a legal subpoena, that would be huge for us, and that would be reason for us to launch our barn billboard program, okay? Because it would show that the election was illegitimate, that Biden is illegitimate, and that they cheated, and we're going to fix it, and we're not going to let them cheat again, and we're going to vote them out. That's what we're trying to do. Pray and call the AG of Arizona. Demand justice. These are criminals. This isn't some damn game. They treat us like criminals for, for walking through the Capitol. Literally. They are charging us and treating us in solitary confinement for strolling through the Capitol. And these guys intentionally undermine a legitimate audit of an election. They must go to prison. We must demand it. And thank you to all of you in Arizona who've been fighting this fight for so long. But we need to help them. All of you, call him. Call the AG in Arizona and say, we demand that charges be filed and that where's the data? We want the data because I want to see how bad the cheating really was. We already know 53,000 people voted illegally in a state that Trump apparently, Biden supposedly won by 10,000 votes. Yeah, I'm not buying that for a second. But I think it's way more than that. I think the voter files are where the real fraud is. Call the AG. All right. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. If you want to send me information, I've talked to you that, you know, we've had people, the stuff in this podcast was given to me by you. People send me links, send me videos, send me, you know, uh, statements of what they think I should cover. I listen to you. Send it to info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Mostly tell people about this podcast. We are banned on YouTube. We are censored on Facebook. So the only way anyone knows about us is through you. You got to carry the ball. We have thousands of viewers. We need hundreds of thousands. Okay? It's up to you. If you think the information I give you is worthy of your time, then make sure you tell other people. We need to get bigger and stronger. I appreciate every one of you. I appreciate all of you who act on what I ask you to do. I know that you are thinking people. I'm not just telling you what to do. You're deciding what to do. So we're going to wrap it up. We'll be back again next week. You're listening to the Weedy People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski.